3: Ninety-four point three WYBC, the rhythm of the city. I'm Juan Castillo, and this is the Electric Drum. And I have with me in the studio today. It's my pleasure to have Rex Cadwallader. Uh, he's uh, currently chairman of the Performing Arts Department at Greens Farms Academy in Westport, Connecticut. But he's a great jazz musician. Uh, he's uh, he's played with Rufus Reed, Bob uh, Mincer, Eddie Daniels, uh, Clark Telly, uh, Joe Beck. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks, Juan. Very good, very good. So, uh, you know, let's talk about your life, first of all. Uh, you know, jazz. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, tell me about
0: your early years growing up. Where, where did you grow up? Well, it's cra- it's crazy in a lot of ways. I grew up in western Nebraska. I was born in western Nebraska. Lived there until I was about eight years old, Then uh, my folks moved to Wyoming. So I went to uh, public school. I graduated from high school. Uh, in Wyoming and attended the University of Wyoming for three years and eventually went back to the University of Nebraska to finish my degrees. Um, but growing up in Nebraska, there's not a lot of jazz. Yes. And, and I was lucky to have uh, a mother who loved the big bands. So it seems like there was always some big band sound on, uh, you know, on the phonograph or on the radio. Um, so I got that kind of at an early age, but I had no idea what I was listening to. It was dance music as far as I could tell. Um, and, and then I was lucky enough to have a couple of band directors, uh, and, uh, trumpet teacher and a piano teacher growing up in Wyoming who were also both big fans of jazz. And you wouldn't think so, right? You would think that's just cowboy country. So we're here and we're here in country music. We're here in Western music. Texas Swing, you know, that kind of thing. But um, but there was a, a big interest in jazz from these guys, and they encouraged my playing. They encouraged uh, my, you know, trying to become a better musician, my piano playing, my trumpet playing when I was younger. Uh, I don't play trumpet anymore because it's a very demanding, a very, a very nasty instrument. If you don't keep up with it, you know, it'll right. be down. Right. Um, but anyway, growing up in Nebraska and Wyoming, I got a little taste of jazz. It wasn't until I went back to the University of Nebraska that I actually started playing in a college jazz band, played, played piano in the, in the jazz band, and eventually started my teaching career and had jazz bands uh, when I was teaching, uh, when I was directing high school bands, with jazz bands in Nebraska. Now, this is a very interesting place because you have to you have to understand that growing up in Wyoming and in Nebraska and teaching in certain parts of Nebraska very white. So, so I think what I didn't grow up with. Although I had a love of the music, is I didn't grow up with a respect for the music and for where it came from and the culture. Exactly. So, so as far as I can tell, I was entitled to to play jazz, but I had never really encountered the roots of jazz. Mm. I just, I knew that I knew some of the tunes. I knew some of the chord changes, but I didn't really understand the, the culture and where it came from. And it took me, I think until I was really working on my doctorate, so some 20 years later, that I really, really began to appreciate where the music came from, how important it was to black culture, to African-American culture, and that, in fact, if I was going to be a legitimate musician, if I was going to be someone who really cared about jazz, I had to respect that. So
3: you got to know some black people.
0: I did get to know some black people But but not really until I came to Connecticut. Really? And and was sort of confronted with the notion that although I knew a lot about jazz, it wasn't really my music. It wasn't music that came from my culture. It was music that came from somebody else's culture. And I needed to understand that. I needed to understand some of the underlying anger that existed because some of the music was taken over and made successful by white musicians but that's not where it came from and and in fact I mean the music is also about the culture the music comes from
3: the soul the music comes from the experiences that a lot of these jazz artists had that that you know that you know that got this music started uh, and and so if you don't understand that then you know when it's time for you to, to play it uh, it's kinda of hard, right? You know? Absolutely. Uh and so that's that's great. Uh this is one castillo. I'm speaking with uh, Rex Cadwallader. Uh he's uh from the Midwest, right? Yeah, Wyoming, Nebraska. Wyoming, Nebraska to Connecticut, and he's they have he's having an event. Now he just turned seventy years old. He's gonna talk about that in a little while. But from that to Black Lives Matter. So we're gonna be talking more about that a little later in your event. You know what I mean? But okay, so
0: you you went to college and uh, and 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 how did you end up in Connecticut? By the way. Well, I ended up in Connecticut. Um, primarily because I reconnected with a woman that I had known years and years and years before. Yes, and she was living in Connecticut. We had both gotten divorced, and one of us had to make a choice about where we were going to where we we're going to remain connected. Yeah, I was teaching at the University of Texas in Arlington at that time, and and I decided that I had a little bit more flexibility in my life, and that I could be the one who made the move to Connecticut. Right, right, right. So, uh, so you get to Connecticut, and. Uh... A little, a little different, right? Different, <laughs> different in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, you know, certainly, certainly different kind of country than Texas and yes. Nebraska and Wyoming, where you can see from horizon to horizon. Um, so, so just, you know, just geographically different, but but culturally different as well. You know, and and I feel really happy about that that I had the chance to be somebody who. I think it was probably a little bit arrogant when I first came to Connecticut. You know, mm. I just I got my doctorate. I'd been teaching in college, and I, I thought that I knew a lot. And it wasn't until I got here that I discovered that there were some gaps in that education. Yes. And, I, and I, you know, I set about out as much as I could to fill in those gaps to understand, first of all, to understand the local History of jazz the fact that there was there was a time when New Haven was a real mecca for jazz musicians there were clubs all the way up up and down the streets and and That you know that was a time that I didn't really get to experience growing up in Nebraska and Wyoming I could never have gone to a jazz club never heard some of those great players except on records Um, so being in a place where there was that kind of history, made me made me open my eyes and realize what it was that I'd been missing, what I hadn't learned along the way.
3: So you traveled to New Haven and, and, and saw some of those some of those greats.
0: Well, well I wish I could have. when oh, you I, didn't do that. Okay. Yeah, no. I moved to I moved to Connecticut in nineteen ninety five. Oh, okay, so, so yeah, so, those, yeah, so yeah, that yeah. those days right. those days were gone. Right, right. But there were a lot of people around who still remembered that. Right. You know, my good friend Jesse Hammett, who's mm-hmm. who's a drummer and lives in New Haven, is from New Haven, uh, filled in a lot of those gaps for me. You know, he tells stories about, about learning how to play in New Haven and being a professional musician when he was, you know, 8, nine, ten years old. He's a phenomenal resource for the jazz history of the New Haven community.
3: Great. So, uh... And so, we were talking earlier. You turned seventy,
0: and you decided that you wanted to do something for your community. Talk about that. Well, I think it, I think just getting to seventy years old <laughs> is some kind of achievement, and and I'm lucky enough to uh, be healthy. I'm lucky enough to still be working, still, still, you know, being compensated really well, being comfortable in my life, and and I thought. You know, I've been playing for a long time as a professional musician, getting paid. Um, I had taken a couple of years off of playing seriously. A, a friend of mine, Micah, set on as bass player, and I had played at Sage American Bar and for about ten years every other Saturday night, mm-hmm. and uh, and that changed hands. Yes, and it was it was time to take a break because I wanted to reflect on what I'd been doing, what I wanted to continue to do, and. A couple of years later, when I turned 70 years old, I I just was thinking what that meant. And I thought to myself, you know, why not commemorate that in some way by offering 70 concerts for organizations around the state of Connecticut or even farther afield that might do some good for somebody. So, So my goal is to achieve those 70 concerts, and to, to make some kind of impact on a lot of different organizations, a lot of different uh, charities, if you like, but, but certainly organizations who have, um, who have goals and who have the need for some funds. So on January 7th, this is Saturday, uh, you're
3: going to be at the Whitneyville Cultural Commons in Hamden, 1253 Whitney Avenue. You're going to be doing a concert there at 3.30 p.m. Correct. Uh, and and the proceeds are going to be going to the Black Lives Matter of New Haven. That's correct. Uh, and it's interesting because, you know, uh, that organization, uh, despite some critics, uh, has brought the conversation of police brutality and, and, and the issues that African-Americans have in this country. Uh, now, Tiffany got in contact with you in regard to that, right? Right. Uh, talk
0: about how that happened. Well, uh, Juan is uh, talking about Tiffany Jackson, who yes. is uh, a New Haven native um, and a wonderful operatic soprano, working on her doctorate now at UConn. And Tiffany and I and uh, bass player and drummer, Artie Dixon, Mike Seta, the four of us had done a number of things over the past 15, 20 years. So so we were all acquainted already, and in fact, Tiffany is on our last two CDs. Um, one of them is called uh, Sweet Perfume in an Alabaster Jar, and the most recent one is called A Balm in Gilead. And, and we had been exploring ways that we could work together, but out of that came the notion that Tiffany and I would like to try to do something um, at at the Whitneyville Cultural Center. I had suggested to Tiffany that maybe it would be interesting for her to try and put some concerts together uh, for organizations that, that she cared about that would be meaningful in some way to this community or to some other community. And, um, and she came up with, uh, and in fact, I had suggested why don't we do a concert um, and, and find out whether there is, in fact, a New Haven ver- version, a New Haven chapter of Black Lives Matter. And that's something that we could all care about. Um, Tiffany is African-American. Of course. Uh, and, uh, and we have tremendous respect for each other musically. And, and in fact, we're, we're close friends. She's coming to my house tonight. In fact, we're going to be rehearsing uh, for, a, for another event. But, but she's a fantastic person. She is energetic and enthusiastic about what we're doing. And she set up this series of four concerts at Whitneyville. That's fantastic. And, and this, is, this is a beautiful, beautiful uh, venue right
3: here in the heart of the city. Uh, and that's happening on Saturday, January 7th uh, at 3.30. Uh, and I want to thank you for coming. You know, uh, well, thank you, you for having uh, me Absolutely. I think this is a great event, and uh, I want to let everyone know, you know, uh, you can uh, you know get in contact with, you know, you can actually go to our website, 943wybc.com, and you can find out more information about getting tickets and so forth and so on. Uh, thank you. Any Anything else you'd like to
0: add? No, I just, I, well, yeah, what I would like to add is I still have a few concerts to go, i booked about thirty, <laughs> awesome. but uh, you know we still got still got another 35, 40 concerts to go. So if there are other organizations that would like to take advantage of this in some way, and if I could be of, of help in any way at all, that's what I'm looking to do. Awesome. Is there way? How do they get in contact with you? Uh, people can get in contact with me, uh, perhaps by calling the radio station. I can leave my phone number with you. Yes, absolutely. Um, I I could also just, uh, my, well, just say my phone number, and then if I get a million calls, that'll be great. Right? <laughs> the number is 203-877-3400.
3: 94.3 WYBC, the rhythm of the city. I'm Juan Castillo, and this is The Electric Drum. Now, it's my pleasure this morning for me to have Emily Bastian. Uh, she's seven years old, and she's an author. And uh, you know how important it is uh, for parents and for young people to read. Uh, reading is so important. And she wrote this book, and I have her in the studio along with her mom, uh, Bridget Bastian. How you doing, Mom?
1: Doing great. One good morning, four. everyone. <laughs>
3: how you doing? So how you doing, Emily?
1: Good.
3: Very good. Very good. So, uh, okay, so so you wrote this book, Aqua Tales. But tell us about, you know, did you like reading? I mean, early on, you know, at, when you were in your younger days? <laughs> tell us about your reading habits.
2: I loved reading, and the more I read, the more I got better on it and the more I read, the more I could understand the book and the more I enjoyed it
3: wonderful, wonderful so uh so mom tell us tell us about you know uh. Her early years, you know, in terms of like, you know, how did you get her to read? And, you know, was it a combination of you and the school? Tell us about that.
1: It was definitely a combination. So Emily started reading when she was about four years old. Yes. And she started writing at the age of six. So even though people say, wow, you're seven and you publish a book. It's been about a year and a half work in progress for her to finish the book. And we read with our both our girls every night. And I think it's just a natural passion. Sometimes we have family members over, we're trying to find her, and she'll be in a corner reading a book all by herself. And we're like, are you okay? She's like, yeah, I love this book. So I think it's just her natural passion and art, and we try to develop it. She started writing her stories during aftercare with the support of her teachers Mm -hmm. at the Whitenfield Christian School, and they help her spell words and draw pictures. So it's been a village let's just say a village raised this child it's been a village effort
3: right that's wonderful and wonderful so emily so tell me uh what are some of your what were some of your favorite books before you wrote your book was there any one, one book that you liked a lot
2: um i really at my school there's this book called ranger in time and i really enjoy those books and now i am trying to I'm enjoying a different book. It's called A to Z Mysteries. Okay. The reason I stopped reading the Ranger books because there, there I read all the Ranger books, so I need to wait till next spring so the next one comes out.
3: Wonderful. So obviously, you, you know, one of your favorite things to do is to read. Is to read. Right. right. But what else do you like to do? All right. What does a 7-year-old like to do besides reading? Cuz you I know your sister likes to do a lot of different things. So talk about that a little bit.
2: I like doing hopscotch a lot and I like jump roping. I like doing sports. I like coloring. Okay. I like spending time with my friends. And I like spending time with my family. Oh. And swimming.
3: That's wonderful, and uh, and you like going to church too, right? Right. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Okay, so uh, so mom, uh, what? How did you approach her, or did she approach you in terms of writing this book?
1: She approached me. Interestingly enough, she was writing all these stories and bringing them home almost on a weekly basis. So we had a stack of stories in the house, in the basement, all over the place. One morning, we were going to school, and they were watching their video, and out of the blue, she's like, Mommy, when I get older, I'm going to be a famous author. And one, I literally had goosebumps, and I turned to her and said, Baby, I think you just prophesied. And she's like, What's that? And I said, Don't worry about it. I'm going to do whatever I can to help you accomplish that goal. And fast forward, I dropped them off, went to work. And when I was in the parking lot, a little voice said, hmm, so you said you're going to do everything to help her, right? So I called my husband. and was like, baby, can you gather all her stories? <laughs> and then when she came home, I was like, honey, you have a lot of stories. Why don't you? Choose your favorite ten, and we'll put them together in a book. And that's how it happened.
3: So these are stories that she made up herself.
1: These are stories she made up herself.
3: Great. That's wonderful. So uh, so let's talk about aqua tales, right? Stories about kids solving problems, right? So can we talk a little bit about one of these stories uh, that might be, maybe, maybe not your favorite, but just one of them? You want to pick one? All right. This is a beautiful book, too. I mean... Uh,
1: and while she decides that, I want to, I want to call out her younger cousins. Okay. Actually, did the illustration. So Jeffrey, Price and Isaiah Michael, twelve and fourteen, did the illustration. So really oh. talented kids.
3: Wow, that's fantastic. And she's got quite a few stories here. Do you find one? Okay. So why uh, want to, want to we read it. Let's read it. Let's, 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 let, let's let the uh, the audience uh, hear hear this particular story.
2: This story is called Talk Math. Molly loved to talk. She talked about hopscotch. She talked about her sister moving to another grade. She talked about her hairstyle. She talked about her new baby doll. She talked about everything. And she talked all the time. Her friend Scarlett did not like Molly's talk mouth. During class, Scarlett could not finish her math because Molly kept on talking. At recess, Molly's talk mouth became louder and louder. She was yelling and screaming and pretending to cry. The richest teachers ran over to the girls when they heard Molly screaming. They looked over her, but they looked at her, but there was no tears in her eyes. Molly asked the teachers, "Why did you come over here?" They said, "They said you're screaming and we thought you needed our help." Molly said, smiled, and said. I'm just talking like I usually do. Molly got in big trouble when the, re- when the teachers realized that she was playing around. The recess teachers told Molly's math teacher all about Molly's talk mouth. The math teacher said, I know the perfect solution. My son Trevor was once like Molly. He also had a talk mouth. He would talk about everything. He's much older now. He only speaks when he needs to, and he no longer screams for no, no reason at all. The math teacher emailed Molly's parents, told them about the problem, and shared his solution. They agreed that something had to be done to fix Molly's talk mouth. When Molly went home, her mom said, We have a problem we ha- that we have to fix. Her dad told Molly that she could not talk for 10 minutes. They, t- they timed her as she sat sadly on her chair, watching the clock. Even though Molly could not c- talk, she was making a list in her head of all the things she would say once her time was up. Ten minutes took forever. Molly had to sit down and watch the clock's hands move very slowly from one second to another. Molly soon became nat- mad because she because she did, did not realize... Why she was being punished by her parents. All her friends talk a lot, but everyone was picking on her. When it was time for bed, Ma explained why she had to sit silently for such a long time. Mom said, you're talking during class when the teacher is trying to teach. You prevent your kids from getting their work done. You yell and scream during recess, which is not good. Her mom's words did not make Molly feel any better, and she wanted to scream, but instead she became very quiet. Even after her mom stopped talking to her, her mom was surprised that Molly did not start talking at the moment she had the chance. After a few moments, Molly asked, Is it that easy to be quiet? Mom said, Yes, and it's important to listen as much as you talk. If her talk mouth never stops, you'll never hear what others are trying to say to you. Molly understood what her mom was trying to say to her. She went back to school the next day and tried very hard to only talk when she needed to during class. During recess, she played and laughed with her friends, but her talk mouth was not loud. The teacher was surprised and happy with Molly. They told Molly they were proud of her. Finally, she had control over her talk mouth.
3: Wow, that's fantastic! Oh, that's great! You did a wonderful job. So, you've got other stories similar to this story. Uh, this is fantastic. So now, how, so mom, how can folks uh, get in contact? You know, with you, and also how to buy the book.
1: So the book is available on Amazon and via Kindle for those who like to swipe versus turning pages. Yes. And then Emily has a Facebook page. It's Emily V is in Victor Bastion. and she also have a website. Which is also Emily V. Bastion Uh, You can Google her, she'll pop up We recently, they did a spotlight on her in the Boston Globe So if you search for Boston Globe and Emily Bastion You'll also pop up her information
3: Right, that's fantastic So Emily, tell me, uh, you asked your mom about about the fact that you wanted to be an author Now you're an author, so as you grow older Is this something you're going to continue to do? I'm
2: going to start reading more and writing more
3: (laughs) That's that's fantastic. And and I'm and I'm quite sure that, you know, you you also do you find that some of the kids in your school because you're reading more now, they're starting to do that too?
2: Yes, and they're also thinking, That's very cool. I'm starting to write and make a story too.
3: Oh, that is great. Well we are so very proud of you. Uh you know, Christmas is next week. Uh so are you asking for a book? <laughs> what what's on your list?
2: I don't really have a list okay, because I'm preparing for two lists. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming. You're a great inspiration to our community and to all young people. And uh, our future is in, is in good hands with young people like you. And we are th- we thank you so much, and we're very proud. So I want you to come back again when you write your next book. All right, so we can get the community to know and to support you.
1: Thank you. All right.
3: All right. Very good, Mom. Thank you so much for bringing her. Uh, this is this is fantastic. What a what a great Christmas gift to the uh, to the community. We really thank you.
1: It's been a blessing. So thank you for the opportunity to share her story and her book.
3: Absolutely. Juan Castillo with you. Wow. I know you've been blessed this morning. I know I have. Uh, what a great way to get the uh, holiday season started with Emily Bastion and make sure that you get her book, Aqua Tales, a children story, a collection of of stories. And again, where can she find that, Mom?
1: That book is available on Amazon and also via Kindle.
3: Wonderful. This is Juan Castillo. This is the Electric Drum on 94.3 WYBC. Have a great week. We're going to be off next week. uh, But in fact, uh, everyone have a happy, happy holidays. And we'll see you when I get back.